Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Well, you may be wondering some things about Barah Ministries, like who is the God we worship, and what is our source of truth, and who is our enemy. Charles Ryrie, one of the best Bible teachers of all time, had a great thing to say about the Bible. Here's what he said. He said, the Bible is the greatest of all books. To study it is the noblest of all pursuits. To understand it is the highest of all goals. Amen? Why? Because in it, we learn about our God and we learn about our enemy. And these truths must be unceasingly set before us as a reminder of why we are Christians. We know our God. We know the word of God. And we know our enemy. Well, who is the God that we worship? Well, we worship a triune Godhead. There's one God who expresses himself to mankind as three separate, distinct, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the author of the triune Godhead's plan for all creatures. God the Father loves believers in Christ so much that we are the target of his blessings, not his wrath. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places for those of us in union with Christ Jesus. Even when we were his enemies, God the Father loved us unconditionally, and that's why he bothered to send his Son to save us. God the Son, the Lord, volunteered to execute God the Father's plan. The Lord loves those who need him most, as it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says, The Son of Man came from heaven to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And who are the lost? Unbelievers, and there are many of them in our periphery. And we need to care about them as much as the Lord does. There's one and only way to heaven. Invest your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, asking him to save you, and you will be saved. Jesus is the Christ, declared in advance to be the Jewish Messiah. And by believing in him, you instantly have the resurrection life, eternal life, in his name, because Jesus Christ is God. We worship God the Holy Spirit. He is our mentor and teacher. 
He's a guide who is the rudder to the Christian's life. God the Holy Spirit gives voice to believers in Christ. He speaks through us. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says this, God the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our human spirit that we are children of God. We are the born-again ones, the spiritually alive ones, through the baptism of God the Holy Spirit. Well, what is our source of truth? As Christians, we can develop a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the entire Godhead through the study of the Word of God, the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 105 says this, Your word, Lord, is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. The Lord will direct your path straight. The best thing you can do for yourself every day is to spend some time reading, studying, and reflecting on God's Word daily. It changes your mind. Well, who is our enemy? God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world for a finite period. He is the enemy of believers in Christ. Yet, if you know your enemy... You need not fear the result of 100 battles, according to Sun Tzu in The Art of War. There's warfare going on inside of us, instigated by the flesh. The Apostle Paul puts it well in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He says, I, Paul, know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willingness to do good, the wish to do good, is present in me. But the doing of good, the actual doing of good, is not present in me. Satan uses the flesh as his inside agent, tempting us with intriguing but damaging and meaningless offers that hurt us and waste our time. Ignore him, not in your own power, but in the power of God the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, For the flesh sets its desire against God the Holy Spirit, And God the Holy Spirit sets his desire against the flesh, for these two are in opposition to one another, so that you believers in Christ may not do whatever you please. Who always wins? The indwelling God, the Holy Spirit. Let him do all the things you can't do when the enemy tempts you. Today's Bible lesson, if the world is so bad, why aren't Christians evangelizing? If the world is so bad, why aren't Christians evangelizing? Well, recently a Christian friend was talking about the world, Satan's kingdom, and he pointed out all the machinations he sees in the world that are leading us toward one world government, one world religion, and one world currency. It's unfolding right before our eyes as predicted in the Bible. No surprise. Regularly, Christians are talking about how the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, the world has always been horrible under Satan's rulership. A handbasket has no handles and is fragile, and anything in it deteriorates rapidly. Yep, that's the world. My friend asked, what are Christians doing about it? Why are Christians sitting passively by just watching and complaining? The Apostle Peter has the answer. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this, And each believer in Christ has received a special spiritual gift from God the Holy Spirit. So keep on ministering it 
by serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What are Christians to do? We're to evangelize, sharing the grace of God for salvation with others. Well, in the next passage of Romans, chapter 1, we'll see why the Apostle Paul is delivering the gospel message to believers in Christ in Rome rather than sharing it with unbelievers. In today's lesson, we'll learn about our obligation to the God who extended his grace to us free of charge so we could be saved, and that's something that we should be sharing with everyone we know. Well, let's hear some music. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Peter reminds us believers in Christ that we are God's property. We are the bride of Christ. He is our groom. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. And Peter says, you believers in Christ are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. June Murphy reminds us who we are as well in her song, You Own Me. could be your bride. You own me to your deity. You added human life. You're fully God, fully man. You are the sovereign great I am. You're my redeemer and friend. I am no Darkness. 
grateful heavenly father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth the word of god father thank you for the word of god which is relevant yesterday today and forever thank you that the word of god going forth never comes back void thank you that the bible is life-changing it's a two-edged sword when god the holy spirit leads us believers in christ on the offensive and it's a shield when we're on defense against our enemy the devil as we listen to the lesson today, help us to understand the word through the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit, and help us apply it to the unforeseen circumstances that will beset us in the coming week, and help us to use it for the opportunities God will give us this week as well. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, if the world is so bad, why aren't Christians evangelizing? If the world is so bad, why aren't Christians evangelizing? Well, we continue our study of the first chapter of Romans, and here is the structure of Romans chapter 1. It begins with the salutation, which is just a fancy word for greeting. That's verses 1 to 7. We covered that the last two weeks. And affirmation, verses 8 to 13. The main message, verses 14 to 17, we'll cover those two things today, the affirmation and the main message. And then it ends with the indictment against the whole human race, verses 18 to 32, a scathing indictment from God about sin and its devastating effects on everyone who comes to this planet. Well, let's move into the second and third passages of chapter 1 for today's lesson. First, let's hear the passages, and then we'll study them verse by verse. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 17. Here's what they say. Romans 1, 8. First, I thank my God the Father in prayer, through Jesus Christ's name, for all of you believers in Christ in Rome, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. That is, throughout the whole 
Roman Empire. It was said that all roads lead to Rome, and if all roads lead to Rome coming in, all roads lead to Rome going out. And so that's where the center of evangelism was for the Roman Christian churches. Romans 1.9, For God the Father whom I, Paul, serve in my human spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you believers in Rome in intercessory prayer. Romans 1.10, Always in my prayers making a request with a petition for self as well. If perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to visit you. Romans 1.11, For I, Paul, long to see you believers in Rome so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Romans 1.12, That is, that I, Paul, may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us encouraged by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Romans 1.13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, you believers in Christ in Rome, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, even though I wanted to come, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as I obtain fruit among the rest of the Gentiles. Romans 1.14, I am under obligation, both to Greeks, that's people who speak Greek, people who are considered to be civilized, and to barbarians, people who don't speak Greek, the uncivilized, both to the wise, that's believers in Christ, and to the foolish, unbelievers. Romans 1.15, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel as a minister to you also who are in Rome. Romans 1.16, for I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel of God the Father, for the gospel is the power of God the Father for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first chronologically and also to the Greek, also to the Gentile. Romans 1.17, For in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God the Father is revealed from faith in the Lord for salvation to faith in the Lord for all things. As it is written, But the righteous man, any believer in Christ, shall live by faith, by placing his confidence in Jesus Christ for salvation. In the second passage of Romans chapter 1, which goes through verse 14, Paul expresses spiritual affection for a group of people, most of whom he has never met. He certainly had friends in the Rome churches, Priscilla and Aquila, who risked their lives for him, and the beloved Persis. All three of these believers Paul mentions later in the letter to the Romans, and even others in Rome had labored and suffered with Paul. But for the most part, Paul did not know the people in the Roman churches, and they did not know him. Now let's take a look at the second passage of this letter, verse by verse, as Paul expresses his pleasure in what's going on in the churches in Rome, beginning at Romans chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, First, I, Paul, keep on thanking my God the Father in prayer. All prayer is directed to God the Father. Through Jesus Christ's name, all prayer is in Christ's name. And don't forget to mention the Holy Spirit. For all of you believers in Christ in Rome, because your faith keeps on being proclaimed throughout the whole world, that is all over the 
Roman Empire. Notice the continuous action. Keeps on being proclaimed. It's not just being proclaimed once and then everybody runs back to Rome. It keeps on being proclaimed all throughout the whole Roman Empire. These Christians were doing the most powerful thing that they can do to affect the world. They're evangelizing. They were sharing a gospel message that affected them so profoundly that they were saved. Today, perhaps we wouldn't be so impressed if we heard that the gospel message had been broadcast all around the world. The internet, internet makes a feat like that really easy. Well, in the first century, there was no internet, no phones, no telegraph, no text, no cars, just word of mouth. And through the determination of a group of people powered by God, the Holy Spirit, and their feet, in a place that was absolutely hostile to their message. The evangelism of the believers in Rome, the Rome church is spread effectually to the whole world. And as was said in the day, and I mentioned it earlier, all roads lead to Rome where the same roads lead out of Rome that, uh, to the rest of the world. Actually, how these believers in Christ came to formulate the church, churches in Rome, is that 20 years earlier, they had been at the Pentecost event where God the Holy Spirit in tongues of fire gave them all the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In that Pentecost gathering, there were people from all over the world and they went back from that gathering and all of them started churches in various places around the world and certainly there were some Roman Jewish Christians who got the Holy Spirit, and took it back to Rome and started the churches. Now, evangelism would have been called a miracle, especially since spreading the gospel was being done in a pagan world that was hostile to the upstart called Christianity. And it would be a miracle if not for the omnipotence of God the Holy Spirit. His power is limitless. See the ignorance of people who say, yeah, but what if somebody didn't hear about Jesus Christ? Okay, so what you're saying is this. You're saying an omnipotent God, the Holy Spirit, whose responsibility it is to evangelize the whole world, can't get his job done. He can't get the gospel message everywhere in the world with his power in languages that people understand, in ways they understand, regardless of personality or gender or educational background. You're telling me that God, the Holy Spirit, can't do that? I say that that is not true. God has the power, omnipotence, to make himself known regardless of the media of transmission. He can even get rocks to speak. The Lord evangelizes the whole world in a language and in a way they understand regardless. The Spirit uses believers in Christ as his mouthpiece, Romans chapter 1, verse 9. For God the Father, whom I, Paul, serve in my human spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you believers in Christ in Rome and intercessory prayer. The believers in Christ in Rome probably didn't believe that Paul was mentioning them that much because they probably weren't mentioning him that much in their intercessory prayers. But Paul empowered the saints in Rome through prayer. They were in such a hostile environment that they needed the protection of prayer every day. Today, we aren't in such a dangerous environment here in the United States. Uh, 
So why are we reluctant to share the gospel message? In the first century, sharing the gospel message could get you killed. Today, it can't, and yet we're holding everything back. These Christians did not. Paul mentions serving the Godhead in his spirit. Well, the Bible is one of the only places that make it clear that believers in Christ have a body, a soul, and a spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this, May God the Father himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, that is, set you apart for privileges, through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the moment of salvation, God's righteousness was imputed to you, and at that moment you became blameless. So certainly, your body, soul, and spirit will be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The body, of course, will be your resurrection body that is blameless. The body that you're in right now will be fertilizer for daffodils. So believers in Christ don't have to worry about what to say when we evangelize. The power of the indwelling God, the Holy Spirit, will give us the words. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says this, God the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our human spirit that we are children of God. We are the born-again ones. God the Holy Spirit specializes in making the born-again ones with his convicting ministry. Now, for those who think the Bible was written by a bunch of men who were interested in giving their opinions, the idea of a human spirit refutes it. God the Holy Spirit speaks to the human spirit of believers in Christ and tells them verbatim what to say and what to write. And if you're worried about what you're going to say when you evangelize, don't. God would never trust evangelism to your personality or your oratory ability. God the Holy Spirit will speak through you and for you for the benefit of those to whom you speak. Romans chapter 1 verse 10. Always in my prayers, making a request, including a petition for self. If perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to visit you. The greatest way to affect the life of another is through prayer. You might ask yourself, who is praying for you? An even better question, who are you praying for? Well, Paul wanted to see the Roman believers face to face, but God had him on a different and very busy agenda. But it didn't keep Paul from desperately wanting to meet this group of believers. The second best way to interact with them was through the writing of this letter, which the Lord did sanction. Unfortunately, Paul's first visit to Rome was as a prisoner. Fortunately, from a prison cell, he wrote letters to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, and to Philemon. Why did Paul want to see the believers in Rome? Romans chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, For I, Paul, long to see you believers in Rome, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be stabilized in your faith. The gift Paul is talking about is not a spiritual gift. These believers got that from God the Holy Spirit at the moment of their salvation. He was talking about the gift that comes from being with him. Paul could lend spiritual insights, which might remove any doubts they had about their fate, in light of the persecution they had to endure in Rome. This was a time when a great sporting event was going to the Colosseum and seeing Christians eaten by the lions. The Roman Emperor Nero 
Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus, had a field day with Christians. He was a monster. And some were crucified, some were thrown to hungry wild animals in the Colosseum, and others were burned alive as living torches. And Nero always laughed and said, they said they were the light of the world as he set them on fire. There's a special place in hell for Nero, and undoubtedly he is being used to light his section of the lake of fire. Romans chapter 1, verse 12. That is, that I, Paul, may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us encouraged by the other's faith, both yours and mine. How many times have you heard people say, I don't need to go to church to worship God. Perhaps not. And the people who always say that, they aren't doing anything. But there's a case for going to church. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 say this, Let us believers in Christ consider how to stimulate one another to unconditional love and good deeds. Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's something really special about being around other believers in Christ. You know, one of the things that's special about it is inevitably there will be people in that group that you hate, and you get to learn how to exercise unconditional love. And in a lot of the churches today, what we see is they turn the church into a concert, they turn the ch church into a building fund, they turn the church into announcements. They turn the church into uh, divorce ministry or the kids' ministry. They turn it into everything but what it is, which is a place to learn the truth of the Word of God verse by verse. So that's what Paul is highlighting in verse 12 when he talks about the desire to be with the members of the churches at Rome. He is edified by them as much as they are edified by him. And so there is a mutual thing that happens when Christians get together. Romans chapter 1, verse 13 says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, you believers in Christ in Rome, that I have often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, even though I want to come, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, a harvest, even as I obtain fruit among the rest of the Gentiles. The role of a pastor like Paul is to equip the saints, the believers in Christ, for the work of service so that God the Holy Spirit can display his fruit in these believers. The volume of Paul's work at the time hindered him from going to Rome, but as he revealed in another letter, Satan hindered him too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, We, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit. We're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. The kingdom of death and darkness is always throwing a monkey wrench into our plans. Yet God the Holy Spirit, who contends for us, always prevails. Romans chapter 1, verse 14. I, Paul, am under obligation. I've got that in all caps on the slide. 
I, Paul, am under obligation. You as a believer in Christ are under obligation. What is that? It's a debt I owe God for his graciousness. That's what Paul is saying. Under obligation to preach both to Greeks, people who speak Greek, who are called the civilized, and to barbarians, people who don't speak Greek, the uncivilized, both to the wise, believers in Christ, and to the foolish, unbelievers. In ancient Greece, when people who they considered to be foreigners, uh, that's a term I absolutely despise, but if they were foreigners, the Greeks would mock them and say, here's how they sound, bar, 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 and so they called them the barbaros, and that's the Greek word for barbarian, barbaros. Well, what Paul is saying is this, yeah, I got to talk to you brilliant, smart people, the Greeks, but I'm also responsible for talking to people about the gospel message that don't speak Greek. And that's true for us as well. We need to give the gospel message over and over to believers in Christ, but we also need to evangelize to unbelievers. We need to give the gospel message to our friends. We need to give the gospel message to our enemies, and we need to be not concerned at all about how they respond to the message, but more concerned with us giving it. The pastor's charge is to preach to everyone, whosoever. Pastors use the gospel message to spread the good news whenever they can, but as are pastors to evangelize alone? And the answer to that is a loud and resounding no. As believers in Christ, we have the same charge as pastors. We evangelize to those we think are believers to equip them to evangelize. We evangelize to the unbelieving world so that they can benefit from the grace that we have been given by God through the expression of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. The gospel message is powerful. Romans chapter 1, verse 15. So for my part, I, Paul, am eager to preach the gospel as a minister to you also who are in Rome. Paul was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in a place where the emperors considered themselves to be deities worthy of worship. As is true for all of Satan's disciples, you worship or you die. And that's the way it was. Satan's true character comes forth. He is both a tyrant and a dictator and a hater of everyone who's not with him. Believers in Christ, as lights in the kingdom of darkness, must share the light of the gospel of Christ and be eager to do so, as is Paul, because of the impact our light has on the darkness. When you turn on the light, there is no more darkness. Well, if the world is going to hell in a handbasket, let us believers in Christ be the light that shines the path to heaven. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll hear Paul give the believers in Christ in Rome their real charge, a way to pay off the debt we owe to God and to others for the gift of his salvation. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it 
Welcome back to today's Bible lesson. If the world is so bad, why aren't Christians evangelizing? If the world is so bad, why aren't Christians evangelizing? 
Well, one of the greatest pleasures of life is giving time, talent, and treasure to those who want to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ free of charge. True ministry involves giving and not receiving. Yet, it's an equal pleasure to be given to in return. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says this, Not that I seek the gift for myself, even though I appreciate it, but I seek the profit that increases to your account from God when you give. So you're invited to join in giving, to make giving to Barah Ministries part of your weekly routine. God blesses your giving and makes it have an impact in places all over the world with people you know nothing about. Simultaneously, God gives abundant credit back to your account. If you listen to Barah Ministries, we appreciate it when you contribute to Barah Ministries, and no amount is too small. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Good morning. My my name is Deacon Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon here because at Bra Ministries, we know that you need to repay evil with kindness. It's the biggest stiff arm to to Satan. It's the biggest surprise to people to have a little unconditional love and forgiveness when they wrong you or when they expect retaliation or revenge. And it's funny because, you know, in traffic, you think about it. If somebody cuts you off, what do you do? Do you chase them down? You know, you inevitably see him at the next stoplight or the, the next exit, and they're right next to him. You're right next to him. My, ne- my newest thing to do is not even look at him. Don't even act like it phased you. Don't even, nothing. Even if they almost hit you, just act up. Well, that's cool. Seen worse. Just let it go right off your back, you know, a little surprise them. And it's funny because I have kids that are in my truck now, so I can't, you know, say certain things that I want to say sometimes. And that's, maybe that's initiated my kindness. But for whatever reason, it's, it's, a, it's a better mentality to live at peace and not have revenge, right? If you have unconditional love and forgiveness, you're just living at peace. Nothing really matters. And it has a ripple effect in traffic and in life with children, with people. You know, you, somebody lets you in and somebody else lets people in, and it just works out. And you think, as Christians, how can we help others have that live at, live at peace? We have to be proactive. It's the gospel. Stupid. Keep it simple. And so it's just gospel. We have to get the gospel out, and that's the best kindness in the world, and the big thumb, thumb your nose to Satan that you can ever think of. And you think about giving, at, giving to Broad Ministries, giving to a Christian ministry, is the ultimate revenge to Satan, not giving it to this world, but giving it to a ministry that's going to get the gospel and help people live at peace and understand that evil for evil is a waste of time. It's a cancer in your soul, and it's, a, it's just a waste. The bitterness, the evilness, the stuff that brews in us, the emotion, there's no reason to get locked in that. It's a waste of time. So know that working with Barah Ministries and giving your heart, your soul, your time, your talent, your treasure to this ministry is the best thing you can possibly do. As Pastor said, the, the Bible is the most important pursuit, and this is what we do here is look into the Bible for truth. So thank you for always supporting it. Thank you, Pastor Rory. And we'll see what the Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says about it. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. 
respect what is right in the sight of all men. And that's not super easy to do in traffic or with kids or with people or with family, but it's the ultimate thumb your nose at Satan. So gather tonight your, your cash and your funds, all of it, everything you can. It's the way to, it's what it says in the Bible. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't say that. But <laughs> if I could find that verse, I would find it. But thank you for always giving, and I feel like we're always rubbing the same people for some cash, but there's somebody out there that, that needs this tonight, and there's somebody out there that needs the message that Pastor Rory has each week. So let's keep supporting that. Thank you. Thank you, Deacon Denny. Today's Bible lesson, if the world is so bad, why aren't Christians evangelizing? If the wor world is so bad, why aren't Christians evangelizing? You know, I usually agree with everything you say, uh, Deacon Denny, but today I couldn't disagree with you more. If you get to the next traffic light and the person won't look at you, get out of your car, knock on their window and say, look at me! <laughs> That's what I do. You look at me so I can talk to you and tell you to share the road. So, by the way, I, I want to say to people who are regulars in our ministry, please listen to the announcements because, yeah, there's some repetition there, but there are some cool things there, too, that you need to know. And especially times when we'll be recording instead of being here live and... Uh, I just don't want that to be an inconvenience for you because you didn't look at the announcements. So every week, please look at those announcements. So welcome back. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we already covered. So let's review those before we finish up with the payoff verses, the main message verses of Romans chapter 1. Romans 1.14 says, I, Paul, and all believers in Christ, this is a reference to all of the, us, are under obligation, both to the Greeks, people who speak Greek, the civilized, and to barbarians, the barbaros, people who don't speak Greek, the uncivilized, both to the wise, believers in Christ, and to the foolish, unbelievers. Romans 1.15, so for my part, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel as a minister to you also who are in Rome. Are you eager to share the gospel of Christ? 
Here's what God wants. The master wants 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, this is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 2, 4, who desires for all men to be saved and who wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the master says, the Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation as some accuse him of, Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for anyone to perish in the lake of fire, but wishing for all to come to repentance, which is a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. An edict from Tiberius Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, the Roman emperor from AD 41 to AD 54, decreed that Jews were not allowed in Rome for 10 years because they were causing chaos, the Pax Romanus. We want the peace of Rome, the emperor would say. And after 10 years, he lifted the ban. Yet it was still hard to be a Christian in Rome. James, the Lord's half-brother, had just been beheaded by Herod. And even though Paul had been abused, he still wanted to come to Rome. Why? He saw himself as a debtor. He felt he owed God something for the grace given to him through the gospel message. He said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I, as a believer in Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, have been crucified with the Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives indwelling me. When we become believers in Christ, the I life is dead. Galatians 2, 20, continuing. And the life which I now live in my physical body, I live by faith alone in the Son of God alone. Faith in the Lord, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the one who loved me unconditionally and who gave himself up as a sin substitute for me. You remember what we said in the Lord's Supper celebration last week, sacrifice. He gave himself up as a sin sacrifice for us. As believers in Christ, we are debtors too. We owe it to God, but more to others, to share the good news of the Lord's salvation offers. Now, that does not make us works-based people. It means that when you're grateful for something, you always want to make sure that you're doing what the one that you are grateful to wants you to do. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, what does the Lord want us to do? I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel of God the Father. He doesn't want us to be ashamed of the gospel. He doesn't want us to be afraid to communicate the gospel to people. For the gospel is the power of God the Father, resulting in salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first chronologically, but also to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. Sharing the gospel with others is the ultimate gift to them. The gift of Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. The gift of his word, which is the absolute truth. The gift of the gospel message, which contains the secret of being saved for all eternity. Who do you love? Have you sat down to give them the gospel message? Who are the unbelievers in your periphery? Do you care enough about them to give them the gospel message? Salvation, of course, doesn't come from man. It comes from a God who is omnipotent, who has the power to save. 
What is salvation? Get this. Here's what Alexa says one of the few times that she has ever been knowledgeable about anything concerning God. Alexa says salvation is the lost being saved from sin and its consequences, such as spiritual death and separation from a relationship with God, achieved through faith in Jesus Christ alone, placing confidence in him and his sacrifice at the cross. It is the reconciliation of a broken relationship between God and man. It is the ultimate demonstration by God of his unconditional love and his power of redemption for all those who choose to believe. Drop the mic, Alexa. That's just beautiful. The Apostle Paul, who was considered to be weak, homely, and not a very good orator, dared to send the gospel message right into the belly of the beast at Rome, a letter that is a flaming arrow from the Lord's own mouth. And the arrow went into the beast who allowed the crucifixion of an innocent man, Jesus, at the hands of Pontius Pilate, a man who had a complete disregard for the consequences of his action toward Jesus. Even though his wife warned him, he didn't listen. The gospel message is the ultimate magnet. It makes people gravitate toward it with curiosity, even those who despise it, like Herod and Nero. They knew the gospel, and they knew the significance of it. And if they didn't, they wouldn't have attacked it with such vigor, killing every male child under two years old in the area. That was Herod. And using Christians for entertainment and sport by publicly murdering them in the town square and in the Colosseum. That was Nero, a man who killed his own mother, by the way. What is the power of God for salvation, then? that the Lord, God the Son, took on the form of true humanity. He lived a sinless life, fulfilling every jot and tittle of the Mosaic Law. He's the only one who ever did it. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, and on the third day he was resurrected from the dead. And then he showed himself as the living God he is after being resurrected from the dead for 40 days silencing all the doubters and edifying all the believers throughout the Roman Empire. Imagine how shocked the Roman officials were that a fervor began to arise among Christians when they saw with their own eyes that their Redeemer lives and that he had accomplished the strategic victory at the cross which sealed Satan's doom. The cross is the ultimate act of love of people who did not deserve it and could not earn it. Who else embraces people with a resume of sin and evil and not holding any of it against you? Not our friends, only God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For the word, especially the word of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing, that's unbelievers, But to us believers in Christ who are being saved, the word of the cross is the power of God the Father. It's divine omnipotence in action. What's the significance of the gospel message? Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God the Father is revealed. That's what you need to get to heaven. You need to be righteous. There is nothing righteous in you. The the moment you sin, you are not righteous. 
you came to earth not righteous because Adam's original sin was credited to your account at the moment of your physical birth. So you are not righteous, but in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God the Father is revealed. So when you respond positively to the gospel message, you are saved and you get the righteousness of God. From faith in the Lord for salvation rather than works, to faith in the Lord for all things, for all who choose to invest their faith in him. Because as it is written, the righteous man, and that's any believer in Christ, shall live by faith. He shall live by placing his confidence in Jesus Christ for salvation. You hear the gospel message. You exercise faith, a gift from God and not of yourselves. And your faith is credited to your account as righteousness, just as it happened for Abram in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Then Abram believed in the Lord, God the Son, and the Lord credited it to Abram's account as righteousness. Pop that up, Jenny. Then Abram believed in the Lord, God the Son, and the Lord credited it to Abram's account as righteousness. We hear, we believe, we are saved. The Lord's sacrifice at the cross atoned for the sins of mankind. Well, what is atonement? Atonement is what happens when you repair something that's broken, as in the relationship between God and man. Sin broke the relationship between God and man. Atonement is to make amends for wrongdoing, and it's also known as expiation. When you exercise faith in Christ, God the Father's righteousness is revealed. How? He keeps his promise. Satan, the enemy of God, wants you, to, you believers in Christ to doubt that the Lord keeps his promises so that you'll be unsure of the reality of your salvation once and for all time. But John chapter 10, verse 28 says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish. And no one, will snatch them out of my hand. When you believe in Christ, your guilt is to be put away forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, we hear it every single week. I, the Apostle Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. And that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was resurrected from the dead on the third day. He made himself manifest to many believers, over 500 believers at one time, to all the apostles. He ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the majesty, God the Father on high. And we, believers in Christ, who are in union with Christ, sit there with him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this, And the Lord Jesus Christ is the radiance of God the Father's glory, and he is the exact representation of God the Father's essence, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal. And the Lord Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. And when the Lord Jesus Christ had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, God the Father, on high. Because we are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, we believers in Christ sit 
there with him until we are resurrected in glory when we will know the meaning of all the Lord did for us. Well, is the world going to hell in a handbasket? Absolutely. You, as a believer in Christ, can do something about it. As a debtor to God for your so great salvation, you can pay the gospel message forward. You can help believers share the good news. You can give the good news to unbelievers and pray for God to save them. This is why Paul wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to edify those who were preaching the gospel in the belly of the beast. Rome. So let's stop complaining about the world and join the Apostle Paul in incessantly sharing the good news of the gospel message with everyone we meet. Well, the closing moments of this lesson could be the ten most important minutes of your life. You'll be introduced to the good news concerning how you can spend all eternity in heaven when you close your eyes in this life. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants for you is that you make the most important decision of your life. There's a person at the core of Christianity, the creator of Christianity, who cares about you. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the truth. He is the light. He is God. And he wants a relationship with you. This is your chance to choose to have a personal relationship with him. It takes about 60 seconds. Your problem is that you were born a sinner in God's eyes. Sinners need a savior. And the savior of the whole world is Jesus Christ. And he wants you to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, you heard them earlier. This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires for all men to be saved and who wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. You will spend eternity in the lake of fire at physical death if you choose not to believe in him. There is only one way to get to heaven, and that's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ to save you by trusting what he has done at the cross on your behalf. If you're going to place your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you might want to know a few things about him. And while there are many things to know about him, here are the critical few things that will help you get eternal salvation. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation, I am the truth through the word of God, the gospel message. And I am the resurrection life, eternal life, Zoe. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. The Lord Jesus Christ is your creator, according to John chapter 1, verse 3, which says this, All things came into being through the Lord God the Son, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you unconditionally. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. The one who does not love unconditionally does not know the Lord, for the Lord is unconditional love. It's his person, and it's his identity. You don't have to impress him. You don't have to clean up your life to be part of the kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven all your sins, past, present, and future. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25 says this. I, even I, the Lord, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake 
and I will not remember your sins. Isn't that funny? Because you'll remember your sins, but the Lord will not. The Lord doesn't want you to work to please him. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this, If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. The Lord doesn't want you to go to the lake of fire. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect person to lead you to salvation. God's graciousness offers you a plan to be saved as a free gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by God's grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It's the gift of God the Father. Ephesians 2, 9, So being saved is not a result of your works, deeds you've done in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. So how can you get to heaven? This loving, forgiving, patient God wants you to be saved and is willing to save you right this minute, right where you sit, right now. You can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believe. So heed the warning and accept the invitation of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. You have never heard of any of the pretenders in religion being raised from the dead. That is what separated the Lord from everybody else. And when he did it, by his own power. So when you get to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll have no problem placing your confidence in him, both for your salvation and for everything else. Why? Because the sovereign God of the universe wants a relationship with you. He loves you unconditionally and he died for you. So take advantage of his grace and you'll be saved right now. Well, what happens if you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 says, Then Jesus will say to those on his left, unbelievers, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, the lake of fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Just go right over to the elevator and press down. There are neither words, those are neither words you want to hear, nor words you have to hear. John chapter 3, verse 18 says this, He who believes in Jesus Christ 
placing his trust in him for salvation, is not judged. But he who does not believe in Jesus Christ has been judged already because he's in a state of unbelief about the person of the uniquely born Son of God. So take the easy road to salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Okay, well, we close with music. The Lord Jesus Christ loves his believers even when we live in the most perilous environments like Rome, here on planet Earth. His love can never be taken from us. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 says, Who will separate us from the unconditional love of Christ? Or what will separate us? And the answer, nothing and nobody. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword separate us from Christ's unconditional love? Not no way, not no how, definitely not. Why? Because God is love in his very person. Here's Jesus' culture to remind us, love has a name.
Jesus. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for the mirror that is the Word of God. And thank you for reminding us that to love you, we must also love the Word of God because the Word helps us to get to know you intimately and to know your thoughts. Help us not to forget who we really are when we walk away from the mirror of the Word of God. Keep on reminding us that the Word of God is spiritual food. It's nourishment for our bodies, our souls, our spirits, our minds, and our hearts. Help us not to live on physical food alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. As we go forth into this week, let the word be foremost in our minds so we can share it with those we love and those who don't love us. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor. Pastor? at BarahMinistries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God daily. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.